This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. This is Chris Grosso with the Indie Spiritualist Podcast on the Be Here Now Network. And my guest today is Sam Bennett. Hi, Sam. How are you? Hi, Chris. Great. Hi, everybody. So let me just quickly read your bio before we jump into this fantastic new book you have. Start right where you are. Um, Sam Bennett is the author of Start Right Where You Are and Get It Done. She created the Organized Artist Company to help create to help creative people get unstuck and achieve their goals. She's a writer, actor, teacher, and creativity productivity specialist who has counseled thousands of artists and entrepreneurs on their way to success. Visit her online at www.startrightwhereyouare.com, and that link will be right below wherever you're watching or listening to this. Sam, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. What a treat. Huh? Yes. Well, so how cool you, you wear many different hats, which is awesome. I was, you know, reading your book and before we get into the conversation, wonderful, wonderful endorsements, you know, from a, a, a variety of people, including Seth Godin and Rachel Dracht from SNL, who's great. Um, <laughs> Key from Key and Peel. How awesome. Who wrote the forward? That's so cool. And then Ed O'Neill, a mutual friend of ours, Amy Allers, um, Lots of great stuff in here. So that's fantastic. Yeah, I'm lucky. I, I have a lot of um, some of those people are just lovely, generous people who were yeah. happy enough to endorse the book. Some of them are friends of mine. You know, Rachel and I were at Second City together. Cool. Um, and we actually shared the same birthday. So get out of here. <laughs> come February. Happy birthday, Rach. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Well, congrats on that. Um, so let's just jump right into the book, um, starting with roughly 20 years ago, give or take. You found yourself in a place of depression. You were financially broke, exhausted, generally fed up with yourself. All, all the good stuff that many of us have experienced, right? So here we are today. You have this wonderful book out as well as others. And, you know, you seem to be doing really well for yourself. So <laughs> what changed? Uh, tell me, how do we get from that place to the good stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was pretty miserable. And, um, and a lot of it came because I felt like I was doing everything right. Mm. You know, I was living my life as an actor in LA and my career was going, you know, well enough that she didn't want to give up on it, yeah. but not so well as to be able to support a person. And 
but I would get called back and called back and called back. And I worked really hard and I sent thank you notes and like, I got a lot of good feedback. You know, nobody ever said you should quit the business. You know, <laughs> like, It's a good sign. Yeah. That was a good sign. And yet it was just never quite working. And that particular brand of frustration where you feel like, okay, I really feel like I'm doing everything right. And yet somehow it's still not working is a, is, is an agony. I think that I see a lot of people in and especially a lot of creative people. Yeah. Um, and the, I think the it was a lot of little things that changed, but I think the number one thing that changed was realizing that I had to stop locating my happiness in the future. Like I did that, I was doing that thing of like, oh, well, if I get this gig, right. then it'll be okay. Or right. if I, if I hit this goal weight or if I achieve this thing, or I produce this show or I do this or I do this, then, then it'll be okay. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I would do those things and sometimes I wouldn't, but it wasn't changing how I was feeling on the inside. Mm. So realizing that I needed to put my concentration in this exact present moment, not even like later today, but right. what could I do right now, right in this second to be leading a fuller, richer, more joyful life? Right. Well, that's very well said because, you know, myself, many people I've had on the show, just many friends and colleagues we talk about mindfulness. We talk about, you know, this uh, audio will be on the Be Here Now network with Ram Das. I mean, it's Eckhart Tolle, the power of now. You know, it's it's wonderful that it is a more commonplace uh, sentiment these days. Yet for so many people, when they come into this moment, they get caught up in, well, things actually aren't so good right now. But I like how you said, well, what's the action step? What can I do right now to start making it better? So that said, let's say someone's watching or listening to this, you know, and, and things aren't so great in the moment. And, and they're like, OK, I'm coming back to my breath. I'm I'm a fan of Thich Nhat Hanh. I'm doing, you know, the present moment breathing exercises. But my right now sucks. What do you yeah. say to that? What, what, what would you offer? Well, I would question the assumption that right now sucks. Yep. Um, because certainly things don't always go our way. Sure. Um, and and things happen that are tragic and things happen that are heartbreaking. But the phrase I go to, and this is like, we're going right to the advanced class here. I think your people are up for it. <laughs> um, is the, the phrase, nothing bad is happening. Mm. Nothing bad is happening. I say this all the time. And now my team says it all the time. <laughs> and my clients say it all the time. We say it back and forth to each other. Nothing bad is happening. Right. Nothing bad is happening. And what that phrase does for me is a couple of things. Yeah. One, it reminds me that I have a spiritual belief that we live in a benevolent, benevolent universe. Right. Yeah. And that's true, not just when things are going the way I want them to. <laughs> that's step one. Um, the other thing it does is it helps me get more precise in my language. If nothing bad is happening, well, what is happening? Is something challenging happening? Is something frustrating happening? Is something painful happening? Is something that's just not the way I would have planned it that way, thank you very much, happening? Right. Like, what is happening? And then the third step is, so what's the invitation and the opportunity in this moment? In this thing that looks like a mistake or looks like an error or looks like, you know, a problem what is being asked of me? Am I being asked to be more compassionate? Am I being asked to be braver? Am I being asked to speak my heart more clearly? Am I being asked to be a better leader or a better boss or a better writer or, um, or a more fragile person? Like what's being called forward in this opportunity? 
So what I'm hearing, and, and I appreciate this, is is let's look more specifically at what the experience is rather than just saying it's bad. Okay, yeah. so if I'm if I'm understanding correctly, yeah, it, I want to yeah. give you an example so we can unpack it a little bit more. And this is a, a big example, but you know it's just something that that came up recently. Um, currently, I'm in a, a small rural town in Connecticut, and there's been a rash this whole year and years past, but especially this year, a lot of heroin deaths with the youth. And one just happened uh, last week. And it's, you know, to say tragic, that, that doesn't even do justice to just how horrible it is. Now, if I say to the family members, you know, they're saying this is bad, I'm obviously not going to say it's not bad. You know, like they're in mourning, they're in, they're in their grief period, and you need to, of course, respect that. But so what I'm hearing is the way... When they are ready to look at it is, but besides bad, what is this experience really? Where is, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and absolutely, we never want to go around telling people that their pain is not their pain. And in, right. in some ways, that's my point, right. is everyone gets the same amount of pain. Okay. Everyone gets the same amount of pain. It may seem like from the outside, like some people are skating by or some people have it easier, but I guarantee you, they don't. Sure. <laughs> they don't. Right. And you know this. People say, like, well, sure, Chris, it's easy for you to have this radio show. You know, you could do that. Oh, sure, Sam can write two books. You know, it must have been easy for her. I guarantee you it was not. Oh. <laughs> and it's not easier for Seth Godin. And it's not easier for Rachel no. Trash. And it's not easier no. for, you know, Keegan-Michael Key. Um, it's not easier for any of us. Everybody gets the same amount of pain. Yeah. Some people have more dramatic stories, you know, but it's still the same amount of pain. Yeah. So to remember that and... And yeah, and then when things, and, and we know that even when the really most awful things happen to us, we often look back and say, wow, that was incredibly painful at the time. And it taught me more about, you know, having cancer taught me more about living mindfully than anything ever could. Losing a child set me on a path, you know, that I never would have gone on otherwise. Um, you know, losing that relationship or losing that loved one, um, losing my own health brought me to a new understanding of the world in a way that staying healthy never could have. Right. right. So I really question that, you know, because death especially, sure. it, it can't be bad. It happens for everyone. <laughs> it, you are right. It is. A, it's the only thing we are absolutely all going to experience. So we have to say, you know, I mean, it's awful for us living that missed the person. Right. It's, you know, right. of course, that's 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 um, so hard and grief stays so fresh. Right. You know, other kinds of pain go away. Grief, it's like it just happened this morning and I don't care how long it's been. Yeah. But this is, you know, but it's there to teach us about fragility. Right. So well said. Um, not again. I already mentioned Thich Nhat Hanh, but he says something to the effect of "Thanks to uh, impermanence, everything is possible." You know, that's such an important teaching. You know, if if the trees didn't die, they wouldn't bloom again. You know, and and the acorns wouldn't fall and, and create new trees. And it's just it's that's life. The only constant is change, right? So, yeah. y your point on death, absolutely. I just wanted to to um, say something to that because I could imagine how a listener would say, wait, that's not bad. What? But no. right. And a very good point. The grief for those of us left behind, that's rough. That is a very yeah. tough thing. But no, for the person going on, you know, that's just the next step of the journey. So I'm going to assume that it was a lot like you, you remember before you were born 
I'm going to assume it's a lot like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I think death is. <laughs> We're on the same page. <laughs> it's, it's probably, I don't know. I, I like that. We'll see. We'll see when we get there. <laughs> What, what I really appreciate too, Sam, is in the book and, and even already in our conversation, how candid you are, you know, you, you, you put things out there and that's, I think, such an important thing. I don't know if you consider yourself a teacher or not, that label's gotten tossed on me as well. And I feel kind of weird about it sometimes, but I think that is so important for the teachers to be their authentic selves when presenting this material for myself. You know, I like going back to what you're saying a few minutes ago, people think you have a few books out and, and things are great and, you know, or you've done this or that acted and we all have the same amount of pain and, and sadness. And absolutely. I, so many times I've had people write or comment like, you know, hey, I saw your book in Barnes and Noble. I, I didn't know you're this rich and famous author. I literally laugh out loud. Rich <laughs> and famous. No and yeah. no. Not so much. <laughs> no. And that's why for me it's so important. In the intro to both of those books, I am very transparent about my own failings, my own heartbreak, my own this is still what's going on today. Like, But here are some ways that I've learned to help, which you offer so many wonderful examples of in your book that we're going to talk about. But I just wanted to take a little sidestep here to say thank you for that. I, I hope to see more of it with teachers. And actually, I feel like there has been a shift where more and more people are starting to step up and say, you know what? Yeah, here's here's my own stuff to a certain extent. Um, so thank you. For yeah, that. no, absolutely. And thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. I, I tried. I try to yeah. be as transparent and as authentic as I, I can. And I think it's and as we talk about, you know, bringing more of ourselves to the present moment, it's one of the things I suggest um, is asking the question, how can I make this moment more me? How can I make this moment more me? How can I make this conversation more me, this email, this outfit, this commute, this whatever, you know, this grocery store experience? How can I just bring a little bit more of my real self to this moment? Mm. And it's such an interesting question. I think, again, it's one of these little teeny tiny shifts that can open up huge opportunities. Right, right. You know, we know how that is when you allow yourself to be just a little more present with somebody, yeah. you know, to listen a little more closely, to make a joke that maybe you might not otherwise have made, <laughs> or, you know, to have a moment with the grocery clerk where you're actually just being people together, yes. you know, yeah. because you've shown up a little more authentically, yeah. you know, that's a, that's an incredibly beautiful practice. And I think it will, um, and sometimes people ask me like, well, what does that mean? How do you be more yourself? What is, you know, I'm like, well, I don't know. It's going to be different for everybody and in different, in different situations, but it's the opposite of when you feel like you can't be yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a terrible feeling. Oh, <laughs> so, 100%. So whatever the opposite of that is, do that. <laughs> I love that. It's making me think of, uh, something Ram Dass had once written about, and I don't recall if it was in Be Here Now or one of his other fantastic books, but he shares a story about how he was driving and he was pulled over by a police officer and he, he was just like in the zone at that point, you know, really like I'm, I'm, I'm connected with my loving awareness. And as the officer approached his car, like, you know, and this is back in the very counterculture sixties. Um, 
he was just like, you know what, man? Here's a guy playing a role. I'm, I'm, I've got the beard. I'm playing a role. And underneath that, that's where we're together. You know, like when we say namaste. And and he said, like, he just brought all this, like, love and, you know, lightheartedness into that situation. And the, the officer was totally cool. And it was a beautiful exchange. And I've just always loved that story because I've had no shortage of run-ins with the law in my life. And I have not handled them nearly as good as that when I was younger. But I remember that to these days, and I, I really think that's a beautiful practice. I mean, with anyone. So like you're saying, you're in line at the, the grocery store. And yes, there's someone playing the role of the clerk, and I'm playing this role of the consumer. But underneath that, here we are, two human beings, right? I think that's yeah. a beautiful practice. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Ramdas has always been one of my favorites. And I remember, um, I think somebody I knew went to go hear him speak mm. um, this a million years ago. And... Uh, and said he he came out and was sort of, you know, and the crowd sort of goes wild and he's sort of taking yeah. everybody in and breathing into the moment. And finally he says, you know, Ram Dass is here, you know, just sharing love in this moment with you. He says, and Richard Alpert is counting the house. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> I talk about transparent and authentic. Like, I love that. And I love that, that how he demonstrates the ability to exist on both planes because we yeah. do. You know, and, and this in some ways is the struggle. Um, you know, we read all this inspirational literature, we watch the webisodes, we listen to the podcasts, but until you put it into practice, you know, it's like reading about swimming, right? You right. know, you can right. understand everything there is to know, but it is nothing. It doesn't have anything to do with what happens once you get in the pool. No, exactly. And you got to so get well in the pool. Said. Got to, <laughs> got to immerse yourself, you know, and that, that's great. You say that, um, about Ramdas, I was just out with him in Hawaii and he does still to this day does the same thing. You know, he's teaching, he kind of pokes fun at the whole role he's playing. And I actually, this was my first time getting to meet him in person. I'd done a few conversations with him and yeah, it was (laughs) same here, right? It's like, oh my gosh, kind of freaking out a little, but I will tell you it was the, it was pretty priceless. So I get to go up to him and, and, you know, I say hi and, and it's just like, what do you say to someone who's had such a deep impact? So all I could really start to think of is I just looked him in the eyes and said, thank you. And his response, you know, he, he kind of goes up towards my little goatee because those who are familiar with Ramdas used to have a huge beard. And the first thing he says is it's so little like, and I'm like, Ramdas just busted my balls. That's amazing. Like, Wow. And that's exactly what I needed because that's how I am. I'm a, a fun, lighthearted person. It was like he met me right where I was just to like kind of like bring me back down a little bit. And it was it was really beautiful. So anyways, you're the first person I've got to share that story with on the show. So, yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's funny. But enough about Ram Dass. Let's talk about start right where you are. I wanted to read a little excerpt that I think gives a, a nice kind of overview of the book. And then we can unpack this. Um, so you write. You too can be calmer, more creative, more loving, and more compassionate with yourself and others. You can feel more confident in yourself, and you can be more prosperous. You cannot escape the pain of life. No one can. But you can increase your joy. So that's what this book is for, to help you make the little changes that will lead to big joy. And big joy can make a big difference. It could even change the world. I so love that, Sam. So... You know, there's a lot we can unpack out of all of that. I wanted to start with the first part about being calmer and creative and, and more loving, you know, towards ourselves and others. You know, it's it's so important. Often we'll work on cultivating that towards others or towards ourselves, but not both, you know. So can you talk a little more about that? 
Yeah, um, there's uh, there's a phrase again that comes up late late in the book, and as you say, there's like a million. You know, the chapters are very short; they're like a page or two. Yeah. It's really meant to be sort of pick up, read a little bit, put it down, yeah. and a lot of and every chapter has little action steps. So there's yeah. a little something you can do again right in this moment. And one of the ones that shows up in the end, and again, this is kind of the advanced class, <laughs> is um, is the phrase "There I am." There I am. And I just, it's just a practice of mine. I don't even know where I got it from or why I started doing it. Um, I think I started doing it to sort of try and interrupt the endless self-criticism and then judgment of others that was happening inside of my mind. Sure. Um, but so I see someone walking down the street towards me and I think, there I am. There I am. And I see someone who's morbidly obese and I think, there I am. And I see some kids misbehaving and I think there I am. And I see a toddler throwing a tantrum in the grocery store and I think totally there I am. (laughs) (laughs) And I see her mother freaking out and I think there I am. You know, it's, it's understanding that, that we are the same. There is no difference between us. If you took every human, stripped us naked, put us on the world's biggest football field and stepped back and sort of squinted for a second, you would not be able to tell us apart. Sure. You know, when the aliens come, they're going to think we're like ants. They're going to be like, how do you even tell each other apart? You're exactly the same. You know, what we think of as huge variations in skin tone or size or facial structure. It's so tiny. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. We're basically identical. We have the exact same, you know, makeup. And we all want the same things. Yeah. We all want our work to matter. We all want to love and be loved. We want to eat good food and tell good jokes and have our children do better than we did. Like. That's what everybody wants. Yeah. So to take all of this, the sameness, and then focus on the tiny little, well, I'm a Democrat. Well, I want a zero <laughs> decaf, no foam latte. Well, I, you know, she's French, you know, like that right. makes the big difference. Right. And yeah. so that, that practice of there I am, it's just, it relaxes me so much. It makes me go, yeah, yeah, there I am. I love that. I love that. It's reminding me of a, Similar, definitely not the same by any means, but there's also a practice from the Buddhist tradition where they ask you to, it's it's a cultivating compassion practice for others, and they ask you to, when you look at literally anyone else, that you consider the fact that, we, you know, as Buddhism believes, we reincarnate, and we've, what this practice says is we've reincarnated so many times that literally in this moment, every single person on this planet has at one point or another in all of our reincarnations been our mother. And Mm -hmm. so it asks us to look at each person and, you know, bring our mother into our mind. And that way it helps us to soften our hearts. Now, if you've had a rough relationship with your mother, which many of us have, you just replace that with a dear person in your life, father, friend, whomever. Um, But I really like that practice. Anything like you, your practice, beautiful, anything that can help us come together to soften, to be gentle and with ourselves and others. So important. And the second part of that, where you're talking about, you know, we can escape the pain of life. You know, we've already kind of covered that a little bit, but I like how you say we can increase our joy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think there's um, just a lot of opportunity that goes missing. I think we go numb Mm -hmm. a lot to, to our lives. I think we get into routines. I get into routines. Um, and and so we fail to notice the the little the little tiny things, you know. We and 
I have a dish towel a friend gave me that said, you know, stop and enjoy the little things because you may realize that someday those were the big things. <laughs> you know, that the little point. things are the big things. And um and and to return some to give some weight again to things like breathing and eating and sleeping and waking up and holding hands like this is the stuff that makes up the actual texture of our lives. And, you know, one of the first things I say in the book is get your cell phone out of the bedroom. Yes. Yeah. Get your cell phone out of the bedroom and okay, fine. You've got teenagers. They might call fine. Leave it by the door, you know, put it on the bureau, just get it. Don't have it on the nightstand. And so many pe people sleep with it in their hand. Yeah. That's kind of bad. <laughs> I mean, give yourself back the gift of waking up in the morning. Yeah. That moment when you, before you even open your eyes, when you're just waking and you're not even anybody yet. Yes. Beautiful. You know, you're not anybody's mom. You're not anybody's boss. You're not even really you. You're just that, that soul that you've always been. And, and that stretching and rolling over and the pillow and cuddling if there's somebody to cuddle or cats, if there's a cat, you know, that's a beautiful, beautiful time of day. Yeah. And, and, and to give yourself back that, that reentry, and especially for the creative person, especially for the um, self-employed person, especially for the sensitive person, that's a very um, fruitful time of day. You know, there's a lot of good ideas that come in there. There's a, uh, you have a real opportunity to set your mind in a certain way first thing in the morning that editorial brain isn't going so loudly right. um and there is nothing happening on your phone that cannot wait for five minutes 10 minutes two minutes 20 minutes while you come into the world like a civilized person <laughs> absolutely love that. that's a practice that i it was actually tough but a few years ago i really started to have to put that you know into practice make that more of a priority in my own life, it, it's, it's so easy to jump up and just, okay, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? There's emails to be answered. There's work to be done. And like you said, there's nothing that can't wait. Just even five, 10 minutes, two minutes. And, and this is, I don't know, Chris, about you, but I, I hear the word overwhelm so much yeah. now, like yeah. so much more than I ever used to hear it. Yeah. Um, and I think that one of the ways that one of the things we perceive as overwhelm is sort of when we can't tell what's important when everything's kind of coming at us with the same level of intensity and magnitude. And that's partly what, ha you know, that ping message, ping email, ping news report, ping, like we can't tell what's important. Yeah. So it's up to you to decide what's important and to really be firm about those boundaries. And that's the thing, but, but you've got to make the decision, you know, you've got to, you got to jump in and swim, right? Like we were saying, that's right. And to make it, and it's really so I was teaching a class the other day. I said, make some rules for yourself. Just say, I don't reply to email before nine in the morning. Mm. Just boom. Yeah. You can get so much work done between eight and nine. It's ridiculous. And believe me, there is nothing happening on the email. <laughs> I cannot <laughs> wait until after nine o'clock in the morning. Unfortunately, <laughs> <You is>, <laughs> especially I found if you're on the East coast, that even, that helps more. And I learned that being in Hawaii, like I just was, you know, and unfortunately I couldn't not check my emails, but by, I noticed by the time I was waking up there at 7am versus 7am here, it's like, Oh wow. You know, cause the East coast is already going. So any of my East coast friends, you really have a little bit of an advantage and, you know, taking that a little extra time. So, but it doesn't matter. Even if you're West coast or Hawaii time, still 
It's so worth it, really worth it. A practice I started working with um, is I'll put a piece of music on something that just kind of speaks to my heart. You know, it varies from day to day, but something that kind of, you know, just connects and gets me in a, a happy place, a joyous place. And um, usually something that's instrumental without lyrics. And I just say to myself, I, I work with the I love myself mantra, which is mm-hmm. kind of contradictory to the whole non-duality thing that I'm very interested in. But you know what? I can lay that aside for five minutes and I'm still here. There's still a human experience happening. And I just work with that. You know, sometimes I'll put my hands over my heart and just, you know, take that time for myself. Um, because for me, that's one of the things I've struggled with. If, if others don't struggle with that, take a few minutes to to work with whatever, you know, that they can help and just set your day in that. It's a beautiful way to set, you know, start your day with this intention of whatever it is you feel you know, called towards, whether it is that self-love or service for others or a combination of, of these things. But anyways, very important, such a beautiful time. And I love how you mentioned, cause you're so right before you even have that mom or son or whomever role, those, you know, that brief minute, right. When you're waking up such a beautiful time in the day. Oh, it's so great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Give yourself back that moment. And, and it, it, Yeah. And taking that time for the stuff that you know is most important to you, the stuff that really makes a difference for you, that lights you up inside. And I know we all have a voice in our head that says, well, I can't do that. That's selfish. It's selfish. I can't take that time for myself. That's selfish. You know, my children need me. My boss needs me. My people need me. Okay. First of all, there's a little bit of self-aggrandizing martyrdom going on and I will cop to it faster than anybody else because I do it all the time. Like, no, no, I have to work. You know, like, No one cares. Again, they don't need you that bad. They can wait 10 minutes. Um, And what's really selfish is you showing up exhausted, stressed out, underfed, underrested, uncreatively fulfilled, and with no sense of humor. And the rest of us have to deal with you when you're like that. Like that's, that's selfish. It's funny because it's true. I know it's right. On the other hand, when you take that time to do your prayer and meditation practice, to play guitar, to do your drawings, to read, to do whatever it is that you love to do and that, you know, really makes a difference in your own heart, your own life. Then we love you show up. You're there. You have a light in your eyes. You can listen. You're not so reactive. You don't take everything so personally. You have good ideas you know, we love that version of you. Yeah. That's a beautiful yeah. version of you to bring to the world. That's the opposite of selfish. That's generous. Beautiful. When you show up fully like that, that's true generosity. Absolutely. Oh. Can you imagine if everybody showed up like that? It'd be a lot nicer world I think we live in. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of work with people uh, in addiction and, and recovery and one of the hardest things for me is is when family members, they don't know what to do and you can just see they're so tired and they're not taking care of themselves. And and I have to try to get the point across the best I can that you need to take care of yourself. You can't save them. They need to want it. In the interim, until they do, just like you were saying, you need to take care of yourself. So when they're ready, God, I hope they get to that place where they're ready. You're there for them in the best capacity you can be in. Because you're not doing anyone any good when you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're you're a train wreck. I know exactly. it's counterintuitive for for people in that place. No, it got feels to take care of yourself. It does. It feels backwards, but this and and I notice it too when people get overly concerned with things that are happening in the outside world. Right, right. You know, and and I know how attractive those things are. I know how intellectually 
engaging those things can be. I know how heartbreaking they can be. You know, stuff happens on the other side of the world and we think, oh my God, you know, or in our own backyard. And, and, but here's the thing. We don't have any power over those things. Exactly. Those things are outside of our sphere of influence. And those people are out, you know, somebody trapped in addiction is outside our sphere of influence. Frankly, all other people are outside our sphere of influence. (laughs) You may have noticed you have no ability to influence anyone. (laughs) Like it may be a skosh. You can kind of push them a little bit if they're already going in that direction. Sometimes you can help, but really you can't even make you do the stuff you know you should do, (laughs) much less anybody else. So let's drop the idea that we actually can control other people um, or nag them or guilt them or anything into doing something they're not going to do because we can't. But when you, so like, like you, I think of it like spokes with a hook, like you got to sort of unhook and, and reel these lines of energy back into yourself, return your energy and your focus to the present moment, which again, your mind, the things you can touch right now, the work you can do right now. And when you do that, you can often create something in the present moment that will influence that outside situation. You know, you can then write the book that may change someone's mind. You can be the example or the teacher that's going to help someone. Um, but you can't do it when you're all scattered to the four winds. And I'm so worried about this person. I can't sleep. And I'm so worried about this situation. I can't concentrate. And I'm so upset about this political situation. I can't even eat. And like, that's not helping. Yeah. And it, and, and again, the, a little bit of emotional, uh, moral high ground of like, look how much this matters to me. Yeah. I'm such a good person because this matters so much to me, <laughs> you know, um, that's, that's, a that's an immature game. Yeah. Really? There's well a better said. game. There There's is. a better game to be played. Well, so let's talk about then some doable changes. Great segue here. And I love in your book, like you said, there's so many like nifty tips and tricks in there. I think 66, uh, small doable changes that can lead to big joy. Can you share a few of those that, that, you know, based on our conversation might be of benefit to the audience? Yeah. Yeah. This one, this one's my favorite and it is a little like picking your favorite child. Cause as you say, there's like <laughs> a billion of them, um, which is part of what's fun. You know, you can like try one and go like, yeah, that doesn't really work for me. Oh, this one totally works for me. You know, yeah. different things are going to work at different times. We need a big toolkit. You know, this is the thing yeah. when people are like, Oh, are you reading another self-help book? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Oh, look, my, my cat's I've noticed. Lovely, <laughs> lovely little guests. That's Cooper and Chester. They, they live with me. Um, they're great. Uh, so, yeah. So here's my favorite, though. Okay. So if you're – so it's especially good when you're stuck. When you're – you know you shouldn't be spending all your time worrying about this person over there, but you are. Yeah. You know you shouldn't be mad, but you are. You're upset and you can't get over it. You're sad you can't get over it. Or you've got some story from your past, something that happened a long time ago that's keeping you – trapped, yeah. right? Any kind of stuck. Make some five minute art about it. Hmm. Make some five minute art about it. And what that means is it may mean you get out a piece of paper and draw a picture just of what the feeling looks like. What does it, what does it look like to, to feel so angry or to feel so unhappy or to feel so, you know, that, uh, that thing that kid said in third grade that still hurts your feelings, yeah. you know, 40 years later. <laughs> um, amazing. You know, they said it once. And we keep saying it over and over again. Like we took a temporary situation and made it permanent. Crazy. Um, But we all do it, right? So what does that look like? 
or maybe it means you make up a little song or a little dance or you get out your Sculpey clay, you know, just, just let that feeling take form. And here's what you get. You get a couple of benefits from this. First of all, feelings just want to be felt. Yes. Feelings just want to be felt. That's all they want. And once a feeling knows it's been felt, it can get promoted and get a better job. Right. As opposed to trying to not feel our feelings. Yeah. And keep them locked away because that strategy works so super great. Oh, so good. <laughs> so great. Yeah, that works so good. I'm just not going to feel that way anymore. Yeah. Right, okay. Right. So, okay. So this allows the feeling to know it's been felt and it can get promoted, but it also gives you a different perspective on it because when it's all inside your head, it's really sticky and kind of awful in there. But once it's outside of you, you can kind of have start to have a different relationship with it. Um, I was doing an interview a while, uh, a while ago with a woman who has a podcast, but she also still has a regular day job. She was reading the book. She got to the make some five minute art about it. And, you know, like everybody goes like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. I should do that sometime. And, yeah, I should do that sometime. Right, right. <laughs> we all do. Um, but the next day she had a terrible day at work, a really terrible day at work. And she got home and she was super duper upset. And she saw my book sitting on her desk and she thought, oh. I'm super upset. I should make some five minute art about this. So she draws just stick figure, you know, nothing, nothing special, uh, typing paper, you know, and it's her kneeling in the middle of the page and everyone at work around her throwing rocks at her. Wow. Right. Mm -hmm. My thing just came unplugged, which first of all, just what an insight, right? I mean, like, Big wow, yeah. that's a very particular kind of upset. And, and just to be able to deal with that feeling, but she said it inspired her then to make a second drawing, still with her kneeling, still with everybody throwing rocks, but with an invisible shield around her. Mm. And she said the shield was the love of God. And she said she went into work the next day with a totally different attitude because she knew she was protected by God's love. Wow. And that's the kind of tiny change, big difference we're talking about. Absolutely. Right? Because you're sticking with this feeling of everyone's throwing rocks at me. Guess how that career trajectory is going to go. Mm -hmm. I'm going to guess the phrase I quit is happening pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. I, I quit or you're fired. Something, something is happening in that direction. Showing up with, I'm protected by God's love. Like, where does that, I see you, I see God's love. Like, where does that career trajectory go? Mm. Totally different world. I love that. Yeah. Hmm. I also I had a woman at a at a one of my live events raise her hand and she goes, um, Sam. She goes, uh, I hear you say this, make some art about it thing. She goes, I don't really know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I totally get that. I said, um, so if you were to make up a little song right now about how it felt to not know what I mean, how would that go? And she goes. I don't get it. 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 She goes, Oh, I get it. <laughs> there it is. Right. And the whole room fell out. We all fell out. It was hilarious. I love that. And again, tiny, tiny little shift, but yeah. so important. Yeah. So important. That feeling of like everybody's understanding something that I'm not understanding. That'll ruin your day. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. Right. <laughs> It'll ruin your whole weekend. But 
the fact that she was willing to say something about it and then and I still sing this little song to myself I don't get it, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, like now we can all participate in this feeling we're all like yes I too have had that feeling thank you you know it's beautiful I think that's become my new theme song slash mantra too I don't get it I don't, I don't get, get it, it. So I, I you know I posted a meme the other day on my on my Facebook page and it was today's plan and it was two action steps one is drink coffee and two is to pretend to know what I'm doing and it's like that's that's pretty much every day because I don't get pretty it. Much I don't get it. So. I don't get it. No, no. <laughs> Just show up and do the best we can. I I love that. So let's talk about complaints into requests. I mm. I really dug this. You know, you write about turning complaints into requests, and there is no shortage of complainers in the world. I know. I guess I may or may not fall into that category sometimes. But so how do we do that? How do we turn these complaints into requests? It's honestly that it's as simple as it sounds and it's, but it's the way I was raised in my house, my mother, you were not allowed to complain about something unless you were willing to take responsibility for fixing it. Okay. I can dig that. Or, or unless you had a, a suggestion. Okay. You know, so what that means is rather than, you know, he left the wet towel on the bathroom floor again. Charlie Brown voice. Um, <laughs> Which is kind of what it turns into when people complain and nag at yeah, us, right? Right, right. I mean, first of all, just notice that complaining is a terrible strategy. Yes, very well said. It just doesn't work. It's just a, it's a crappy strategy. Much like nagging, it's just a crappy strategy. So find a better strategy. Yeah. One suggestion might be saying, sweetheart, could you pick up the dirt, you know, the damp towel from the bathroom floor? The person may say no, <laughs> but they may say yes. Right. They may say yes and then still not do it. You know, we're, we don't know. Mm-hmm. But we can make the request. We can say even more strongly, sweetheart, I don't think the towel wants to be on the floor. I think it makes the towel sad and moldy. <laughs> and it means that then I have to dry off with a damp towel. And I really hate that. Could you please hang up the towel? You know, we can yeah. give a little more context. Yes, yes. Explain a little more about why this matters to us. Yeah. Um, they still may or may not do it. Or we can just take responsibility for the problem and hang up the gosh darn towel ourselves. Because clearly we're the ones who care about it. And the other person does not. <laughs> So I like that though. You, you you at least start out by asking, and if you can't get to that, you know, point where they're going to do it, take the responsibility. Your mom sounds like a, a wise woman. That's a that's a great lesson. Very wise woman. <laughs> so, how about then? And this was a fun one. Happy grown up naked time. Happy, Happy grown up naked time. <laughs> who doesn't love the sounds of that? So let's talk about it. That that I really liked that part of the book. So happy. This is the easiest way to talk about happy grown up negative time is to have you all do something with me. Um, so just right this second, just hold your own hand or put your hand on your arm or your face or somewhere where you can reach. Right. And just for a second, just notice your own hand. Just notice the skin and the texture and the temperature and the strength of it or the weakness of it, the scars on it. Our hands do a lot of work for us mm-hmm. and and really uncomplainingly, and they almost never get any attention for it. Um, and that's really what Happy Grown Up Negative Time is about. It's about taking, I don't know, half an hour a week, Wednesday nights at 630, <laughs> Happy Grown Up Negative Time. <laughs> and being alone or with a partner, whatever, nude. And just remembering that you have skin and that you have a body and that it loves you. And 
whether you give yourself a foot massage or just, you know, hold your own face. Again, if there's a partner, if this is something you want to do with someone, I think that's beautiful. If it gets sexual, right on. But it doesn't have to, right? right? It's not about, it's not about sex. Some people don't want to have sex. Some people can't have sex. Some people are too exhausted and tired and mad to have sex. You know, I tell the story in the book of my friend Annie, who was, you know, she had a boy who was a toddler and she was taking care of another toddler in the neighborhood. And she said, by the time her husband, Charlie, got home at the end of the day, she was like, don't touch me. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I am covered in sticky fingerprints. I have been public property all day long. Don't touch me. (laughs) So this is an opportunity for moms like Annie, for for grownups of all kinds to just be intimate with our own bodies again. Yeah. And there's a really interesting study they did in Great Britain about slow touch, right? So patting yourself like you would a, an animal mm-hmm. and then going half that speed and then half again that speed. And that touching yourself in this really slow way improves your self-concept. Mm. It actually improves your self-esteem. So noticing the contours of your own body and, and caressing your own body um, can actually make you feel better about yourself. I absolutely love that. And it seems to nicely also lend itself to the practice of mindfulness. If you're there really just, you know, like with the hands, that's the first thing I thought of. I Honestly, yes, I, I, I work with my hands all the time. We all do. But when was the last time, besides when I was reading your book, I took the time to like really look at my hands or you know, my arms and wow, you know, this body does so much for us and it goes, it gets neglected so often. And yell that. And yell that, right? (laughs) I don't know, but you know, uh, yeah, yeah. And we focus on the parts that are broken or don't work as well as they used to or a different size than we sort of wish they were or whatever. But to just go, this body right now is perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. And that's a, that's been a struggle for me too. And and I have no shame in saying that because I know a lot of people when they think of body image stuff, they think women, but for men too, you know, like I've struggled with my weight my whole life and it's been a real point of contention for me. And, and uh, I've had to bring a lot of awareness to that and healing work and I am still far from, you know, finished with it, but on a good day, it's a good day. You know, I, I, I wrote in my second book, there are days I can look in the mirror and, and like the person that's looking back at me. Okay, that's a good day. But that good day is better than, I mean, it was so bad for me that back about 10 years ago when I was living in an apartment by myself, I literally, besides a small mirror in the bathroom, could have no other mirrors around because I could not stand to see my reflection. Or if I was walking into a store that had a glass door, I would look at the ground because I didn't want to see that person walking back. How sad is that? You know, and not and not just for me, what was me, but how sad that there are so many people that live like that in the world. Like, it's heartbreaking to me because you're right. We are beautiful. You know, we really are. So, and, and, and I'm so glad you said that. Cause yeah, the, I mean, cause women in body image gets a fair amount of press men in body image doesn't. In some ways yeah. I think it's almost harder for men Yeah. because it's, there's not so much of a way to talk about it. There's not as much language around it. There's sure. not as much sort of, um, uh, support or evidence around it. Um, but yeah. And, and, and here's the thing. Cause I can hear people out there going like, my body is not perfect, Sam. It's not perfect. My body's not perfect. You know, my body has a disease. My body is broken. My body is sure, whatever it good is. Point, good point. And I want to say it has to be perfect because there's only one version. Yeah. There's only the body you have right now. 
I think sometimes we act like there's two of us, right? Right. Like there's me and then there's this more perfect version of me. And if it was like that, then that would be better. But there isn't. Yeah. There's only one. And when there's only one of something, it has to be perfect. Such a good point. <laughs> because there isn't an alternative. There isn't a better or worse version. There's just the one. Yeah. So it has to be perfect. And whatever changes you would like to make in your body, you can only make them from this present body. Yeah. And, and again, these little talk about one degree shifts, you can't lose 30 pounds right now. Right. Right. Not without lopping something off, but you can start loving yourself the way you think you would. If you were 30 pounds thinner, you can start eating the things that a 30 thinner pound person eats. You can behave in the world like that person. You can dress like that person. You can show up like that person. And sure enough, you'll get there. Yeah. You will absolutely get there, but to, to punish yourself for not being there yet, to yell at yourself because you don't look like the media says you should look or your own head says you should look or your parents says you should look or whatever, you know, that's, that's heartbreaking. And, um, for me, I notice ingratitude in it as well. Yeah. I like your book titled start right where you are. And that's, you know, I, I lost a significant amount of weight years ago, but it didn't, like you said, I didn't lop a body part off. It was a long journey and it continues to be. My weight fluctuates and, you know, some weeks are better than others. Some days are better than others, but I show up and I do what I can. I do my best each given day, knowing that my hundred percent is going to shift from day to day. But as long as I'm doing the best that I really feel like I can in that day, then what more could you ask for, you know? And, that's exactly right. Um, yeah. And remember that everybody's everybody's doing the best they can. Right. Yeah, right. Everybody's doing the best they can with the information they have at the time. Yeah. And you're always doing the best you can too. And sometimes your best is really crappy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right? Like, sometimes my best is really crappy. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, that happens. But um but yeah, you can only you can only do what you can do. Yeah. And I appreciate too how you're talking about, you know, the uh, you didn't word it like this, but perfectly imperfect you know like loving ourselves i and and that goes for the the physical aspects the mental and emotional aspects um because that is still a part of who we are and that was something that you know i've been working with the last several years that point was really made clear to me i have a friend who uh is a breast cancer survivor and she talks about how you know you think of the word cancer and and i see a lot of uh like f uck cancer normally i'd say but i don't know i'm just being respectful but you know f cancer that's the big thing and i get that sentiment you know and it's heartbreaking because it's taken so many lives but my friend um you know who who's a survivor talked about how she went completely a different way about it and loved her cancer and she loved it because it was a part of her and to not love any part of her didn't feel right to her now i'm not saying that Everyone who has cancer, if they love it, it's going to magically cure them. And I don't think she's saying that that's what cured her either. But she's saying that that was the mental approach she took to that. And that's so beautiful to me. You know, when someone can do that with cancer, let alone, you know, the the myriad other things that we struggle with as human beings on a day-to-day basis. But just learning, you know, not to compartmentalize. It's all part of who we are. So why are we going to hate or dislike or try to repress or disown, disown, you know, that's where all the shadow stuff comes up. So exactly. Anyway, so let's talk about 
four, seven, eight breathing. Cause if we cannot have enough breathing in our lives, right. I think that's, right? that's such a wonderful practice. So can you, can you explain that to us? I can not only explain it, we can do it. Let's just do it. it. Let's do it. Okay. So we're just going to inhale for four, hold for seven, exhale for eight. Okay. That's it. That's the whole banana. We'll just do it one time and I'll count us through it. Okay. So let your belly go really poochy soft. And let's inhale. Two, three, four. Hold. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. Exhale. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So what's the benefit of doing this? For well, someone who's me, not familiar, I'm sorry, with meditation yeah, breathing practice. Yeah, no, for me it makes me go, oh. <laughs> we don't really need uh, to have much more than that, do we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, you can do it one time, you can do it three times, you can do it ten times, you can do it for as long as you can stand to do it. Um it's gotten me through uh, 15 years of Los Angeles traffic. Um, it's That's gotten no me through, <laughs> right? Um, you know, through the health crises and financial crises and, you know, all kinds of auditions, bad nerves. Mm. My friends with insomnia say it's great for insomnia. Um, you know, and and I don't even know where I learned it. When I was doing the book, actually, I I, I did some research on it because I thought I must have learned this from somewhere and I should give credit to whomever I learned it from. But it turns out it actually shows up in a lot of different traditions. And, and I honestly don't know where I got it because I started doing it so many years ago and I open all my classes with it. I open all meetings and rehearsals with it. I, you know, it's, it's a way to bring everybody into the same space at the same time. And there's something about the counting, the four, seven, eight counting that it's, it's, close enough to being like math that I can't like, I can't be anxious and count at the same time. It's like, it just confuses me enough <laughs> that I can't actually hang on to my anxiety while I'm counting. That's great. Yeah. It really pulls you in and I've got to be here now and, and really focus on this. That's, that's wonderful. So we're almost out of time. We didn't get to cover everything I'd put together. It's, it's a wonderful book. I hope we got some of the major stuff across to the audience. But that said, I would love to give you, Sam, a few minutes. Is there anything that I didn't address that you would like to talk about for the audience uh, about the book or just in general, anything you'd like to share that we didn't get to in this conversation? Yeah, just to, to really... Um, I really want to remind everybody that, that, that the world needs your work. The world needs your art. The world needs your spirit. The world needs your voice. And we do not have an unlimited amount of time in which to do our work. So, and that's your responsibility. Mm. You know, I, I don't think any of us want to stand, you know, at the pearly gates with St. Peter and going, you know, I was gonna dance more, but my mother wasn't very supportive. You know, like I would have written a book, but there was all that email, you know, like you don't want to be that guy. So, so really, um, your opportunity to show up for your life is now mm. it's right now. It's not going to get better or be more opportune than right now. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful way to end this. I couldn't said it anywhere better or near as good actually so let me just share that website again www.startrightwhereyouare.com again for the audience the link will be just scroll down a little you can click right on it we've taken all of the legwork out for you 
Sam, it has been a real pleasure having this conversation with you. Thank you for writing this wonderful book, and thanks for the work you're doing in the world. It's it's needed and appreciated. Oh, back at you, Chris. Thank you so much. Thank you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.